The talk you're about to listen to is a presentation of Penn State Crew. To find out more about Penn State Crew or to find more talks, music, and videos, check out PennStateCrew.org. Hey, everyone. Wow. Crazy to be up here. Super thankful for the opportunity to speak with you tonight. Um, whether it's your first time here or your 50th time, welcome. Super exciting. Um, so I always love when students get up here and just share some pictures, you know, some fun memories. Um, so I put together this nice little collage. Um, starting on the right over there, you can see some, some nice personality pics from Thon, um, one from this year, one from a few years ago. Um, going over top middle, those are my roommates. Come visit us at our apartment, the cactus farm, cacti. You might see them out there. Say hello. Hi. Um, right below that, that's just me in my narwhal onesie, just casual, you know. Um, a nice glamour shot of the ambulance. Um, I work as an EMT around town, so if you see me driving by, wave hello. Um, bottom corner there, it's just me and my brother, Lucas, super cute. Um, and then in the top left there, there's my family. There's Lucas, a little bit taller. Um, there with my parents as well. So I'm going to focus in on my dad for a minute. Um, so many of you have not had the joy of meeting Mr. Ernie Richardson. Um, but if you have, some of you might have, um, you'll know that he is very hardworking, intelligent. He's the type of guy who knows how to work smarter, not harder. He knows how to get what he wants. So now my dad and I both have a sweet tooth. So just a nice little story about us. Growing up, anytime we were out together, um, we'd like to stop for a treat. So cookies, donuts, baked goods, the works. Um, but one of our favorite things to get were cinnamon rolls. So... I mean, just look at that. That is so delicious. I want one right now. Um, so the cinnamon rolls, usually, they're usually pretty big. Um, so my dad um, and I would share them. So a selfless man, he would always uh, do me a solid, and he would let me have the best part. Um, so he'd cut up the cinnamon roll, and he would say, here, I'll take the middle section. Here, here's the outer part for you. Um, so if you're confused, just bear with me. Um, so many years later, I was out and about without my dad, and I was really just craving a cinnamon roll. So I went ahead and, you know, treated myself. Um, honestly, a little disappointed that my dad wasn't there to eat the middle for me. Um, but you know what? Went ahead, gave it a taste, and bit into the middle of that cinnamon roll. And oh my goodness, I could not believe it. I had seen the light. I was just like overwhelmed by how delicious that taste was. Um, but then after that, I was confused, right? I was like, this is supposed to be the worst part. Um, I was a little mad. I was like, how could my dad have kept this truth from me? Um, so to this day, I haven't quite decided if this is like a cruel thing to do to a child or like something that I'm going to say for parenting. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, I think this story honestly says a lot about how we live our lives. Um, so the way that we perceive truth has a huge influence on our thoughts and on our actions. So in this story, because I believed that the middle of the cinnamon roll was the worst part, I willingly just gave it away. Um, and it wasn't until I learned and embraced the truth for myself that I was able to change my behavior and live just with the joy of eating the full cinnamon roll um, and the middle, which is objectively the best part. So, Although this is a really silly example, 
um, I think that it really parallels our faith. Um, the things that we believe to be true have a huge impact on how we view ourselves, how we view God, how we think, and how we act. So tonight we're going to focus in on this topic of truth, um, and I just want to share a few pieces of truth that have really impacted me, um, a few lies that I've wrongfully believed, um, and just some ways that God has really redeemed these wrong patterns of thought um, and actions in my life. Um, one more quick note, I'm not going to be doing Q&A, um, but I did put my phone number on the top of the slides, so if you think of questions, feel free to shoot me a text um, with your name and your question. Um, even if you don't have a question, you just want to reach out, just send me a message. I'd love to meet up with you. Um, so with that, I would just love to pray for our time, um, and then we'll jump in. Um, dear Jesus, I just thank you so much for this evening um, and just this opportunity that you've given me to speak tonight. God, I thank you for your truth. I pray that tonight you will just help us reflect on the lies that consume our lives um, and that you will just remind us of who we are and of what you have called us to do. Um, God, I ask that you'll speak through me and that you will just bless our time tonight. Amen. All right. So like I said, um, I'd just love to share with you some things that have impacted me over the past few years. Um, so some good, some bad, some ugly, um, some lies, and just some of the beautiful truth that God has taught me. Um, so before we get into more of the specifics, um, I just want to frame a little bit of my background. So growing up, I was always the kid who was just good at school, right? I'd never gotten a B. I was valedictorian in my high school class, won a bunch of awards for different things, different accomplishments, um, had my pick at whatever college I wanted to go to coming out of high school, um, obviously made the right decision um, here at Penn State. And now I'm not saying this to say like, oh, like, Look at Cece, look at all the cool stuff that she's done. Um, but I just say this because I think it's really important for us to understand just some of the root causes of the things that we struggle with. So we, the lies that we believe, we don't believe them randomly, right? There's always some sort of triggering event or series of events that reinforces those like wrong thinking patterns. So for me growing up, I really became accustomed to receiving that praise for a job well done and for the perfect report card. Um, and while it's not wrong to celebrate hard work or accomplishments, um, the, the experience that I had with getting affirmation for those things just led me to a place where I really believed that my worth depends on my performance. And so this has really become pretty deeply rooted in my life. Um, and I think that the lies that we believe um, the ones that are the most deeply rooted are the ones that are reinforced by the culture around us. So, right, in this world, we are, perform we are rewarded for when we perform well, right? Basic psych 100. Praise for a good job or receiving a good grade. Um, all of these things positively reinforce our desire to do well. And on the flip side, punishment in the form of a bad grade, of disappointment, of disapproval, all of those things create this aversion for what the world deems as failure. So this line in particular, I think, is really interesting because it can swing in different directions. So for example, when the world tells me that things aren't going my way, I suddenly become a failure, a disappointment. On the other side, when everything is going well, that's when my pride takes over. My ego swells up, and I begin to take credit for all of the great things that are happening. So both extremes about relying on my performance for my worth are damaging. 
I think many of us can attest to the fact that life is like a freaking roller coaster. So we have great days, we have terrible days, days when we feel great, we feel like we're on top of the world, days when we feel like a failure, everything in between. But I think one of the beautiful things about God's truth is that it is constant. Hebrews 13.8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So no matter how well or how poorly I perform, whether that's in school, whether it's in a leadership position, whether it's in a relationship, in anything, my worth does not depend on what I do. God says, my worth and my identity are in Christ alone. And this is one of those things, right, we share with each other often. We toss this phrase around. We toss this phrase around, right? We're like, girl, don't worry about that test. Your identity is not in your grades. Your identity is in Jesus. And it's like, while that is a true statement, I don't think this is something that we really believe in our souls. Um, it is so easy I think for us to get caught up just in the day-to-day and let us be consumed by the titles that we carry around. So for me, I thought about some of the titles that I hold as a student, as a sister, as a daughter, as an EMT, as a volunteer, as a scholar, as a leader, as a roommate, as a friend, the list goes on. These titles are all blessings and they're definitely things to be thankful for. But this really becomes a problem whenever these titles take priority over my true identity as a child of God and as a daughter of the Most High King. This title is something that was given to me graciously from the Lord, and it's not a result of anything that I did to earn that. So to let this truth sink in, I think it is absolutely essential to meditate on God's word um, where he proclaims his truth. So I'll be sharing a few passages throughout this talk that have stood out to me, but I just want to really encourage you guys um, just to look to the Bible for more evidence um, just of God's truth. So one passage that came to mind um, is Psalm 100, which was written to give thanks and praise to God. Um, So verse 3 is on the screen. Can I get somebody to read this? Some, like, little engagement? It's, you just have to read it. There's no, like, tricks to it. Julia. Beautiful. Thank you, girl. So this, this is awesome, right? God created us and he knew us before we were even conceived. He has chosen us for a purpose that is so much better than anything that we, that we could even imagine or that we could work towards for ourselves. And we didn't have to do anything to earn, it, earn this. God made us and we are his. We are his people and we can trust that our identity can be found in Jesus. And I think that is just freaking amazing. Um, but as great as that truth is, this has not been something that's been easy for me to believe. So let's tell a little story. Um, during fall of my junior year, uh, classes really started to become challenging. I think that's pretty common in a lot of our majors. Junior year kind of hits you hard. Um, and junior year in biomedical engineering just has this reputation um, for being brutal. And it honestly was. Um, I felt this huge pressure that I had to perform well in my upper-level classes. So I ended up cutting back on a lot of involvement just on campus and at work um, so that I could focus more on school. So that semester, I was putting in a ton of hours um, just studying each week. And even though I was putting in my best effort, my exam scores just were not stellar. And so I was getting just increasingly down on myself. 
um, as finals came around, and I was becoming more nervous about what the report card would show. Um, and I was especially nervous because the GPA requirement to stay in Schreier is a 3.4 each semester. And so if you fall below, you're put on academic probation for a semester, um, or you're given one semester to get your GPA back up. Otherwise, you're dismissed from the Honors College. So I really felt like I had to do everything to get the grades, right? To graduate with honors, um, to have a report card that would be good enough to get into med school, the whole deal. So the end of that semester came, um, and what felt like ages of waiting and like obsessively checking line paths, you know at the end when you're like, refresh, refresh, refresh. Um, final grades came in, um, semester GPA, 3.38, right? So it wasn't good enough. I missed the mark. And I remember that moment, and I just like remember feeling weak. Like my heart was pounding, my stomach like turned into a knot, and I felt numb. And then I was angry that I was so upset, and it was just like a bad spiral. Have you ever feel, feel that way when you're like upset, and then you're upset that you're upset, and then it's just like, ugh, it's just bad. So in that moment, I said, I am not good enough. I'm not good enough. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't smart enough. Um, I just asked, like, how was I going to tell my family that I was going to be on academic probation? Like, my whole life, I'd come home with the perfect report card. I didn't feel like I could tell my friends, especially my friends in Trier, because what would they think of me? Because only dumb kids get kicked out of Trier, right? Kids who don't work hard enough. Um, and then, like, oh my gosh, I might be one of those kids. Um, and these lies just continued to twist out of control. So, jumping back into some scripture, there's a great passage in 2 Corinthians. So in this passage, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. He's talking about a vision that he had um, where he's being tormented by Satan. So, Paul is pleading with God to change his situation. And I felt like I was in a very similar place, right? I was pleading with God just to change my situation, that somehow there was a mistake, that somehow my grace came back wrong, that something was messed up along the line somewhere that would bring about a change of the situation. And so, in this passage, Paul goes on, but he said to me, and this is meaning God is saying this to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul goes on, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And just how I wish that this was my response to my situation, that I would delight in my hardship, that I would see it as an opportunity to glorify God in his strength, that I would use a situation like academic probation to boast in the power of Jesus Christ. Because when I say that I'm not enough, God says to accept the grace that he freely gives and know that his power is perfect in my weakness. And that is just so redeeming. So if you ever feel like you're not enough, just think about how you can use your situation to point to God's power. Because in our weakness, God is strong. So like I said, I wish this is how I responded to my situation last year. But honestly, I didn't. That's not how I responded at all. Um, so the winter break of my junior year, right after I'd gotten this news, was just really rough. I was, 
I was embarrassed about my grades. I felt defeated, um, and I just wanted to run away from my problems. And so the end of break finally came, just kind of dragged out. Um, and I remember my dad driving me back to school. And honestly, I didn't want to come back to Penn State. Every single other semester, I've always been excited to get back here, um, just to be in this place, to be with all of you guys, of all of just like the great people that are here. Um, but th going into that semester, I didn't even care. Um, I just wanted to give up. I just wanted to escape my issues, um, especially because I knew that the semester that was coming up um, was going to be more challenging and more demanding than the previous one. And I just had zero confidence that I was going to be able to bounce back. Um, but the spring semester came, uh, as it does. And let me just say, like, it hit me like a truck. Um, I will never forget the Sunday before classes began. Um, my friends were all hanging out, catching up, just getting geared up for the semester. And that day, I received an email from a professor saying, see the attached terminology and learn it for class tomorrow. And so I opened up the attachment, and there were like pages and pages of all of these terms that I didn't even know. And so I ended up spending hours that Sunday night making note cards and studying, and classes had not even begun. Um, and I was just, I was just miserable. I was miserable. And so I got to class, that same class the next morning, um, in forum at 8 a.m., best place to be on a Monday morning. Um, and the same professor said, he started off class, started off real strong, um, just by saying, if you haven't learned all the terms, you're already behind. Also, read these three chapters of the textbook because you're going to be tested on it on Wednesday. Um, and he's, he went on to say, I can, and I have failed students in the past, and I'm not afraid to fail you. And so that obviously really boosted my confidence when I already was like feeling like crap. Um, and so the fear that I had about having to prove my worth and about not being enough um, was just amplified in that situation. Um, in the coming weeks, would have to wake up at 7 a.m. every day for class. Usually didn't go to sleep until 2 or 3 a.m. Um, just days spent studying and doing homework. And I was exhausted. So then, to make matters worse, anytime I saw my friends hanging out or just watching movies or relaxing, there was this bitterness that just rose up inside of me. And I just remember thinking, like, how dare they get to have fun while I'm stuck, like, working my butt off day in and day out? I didn't have time to take a break. I had work to do, and I was jealous, and I wanted a break. Um, I was jealous, but I was ignorantly jealous because during that season of life, I, I was such a negligent friend. I was so wrapped up in my own issues that I didn't even know what was happening in the lives of my friends. I just assumed they were doing well because there, was, there were those times here and there when I just saw them relaxing, hanging out. Um, but I never really checked in to see, like, okay, like, how are you doing? Um, deep down, I knew that I was just being ridiculous, that it was wrong for me to blame other people for having fun and relaxing every now and then. Um, so I didn't even feel like I could tell them I that I was upset. But the fact that my anger and my resentment just kept building up inside of me only made me more upset, right? The spiral of I'm upset and now I'm upset that I'm upset and it's just, you know, that's how it goes. Um, and my emotions just like had this hold on me that I couldn't let go of. And I was angry about my situation and I felt burdened by school. Um, and so in a mindset of total entitlement, I just said, 
you know, I deserve a fun and easy life. I was so dissatisfied with the opportunities that I'd be given, that I had been given. And I found myself craving this like fake easy life, one where I could just hang out with my friends and have fun and go to the gym and cook food and watch TV and be happy all the time um, and just do all these other things I wanted to do instead of studying. I had made up this like this false utopia in my mind about how my life would how my life should be. And I imagined that things would just be so much better if I didn't have any burdens or any challenges. But honestly, the truth is that God tells us that life is not without pain. Um, and actually, pain has a really important purpose. Now, unpacking the purpose of pain and suffering is something that deserves an entire talk series of its own. So we don't have time to get into all of that. But just wanted to share a few key points. So through our pain, God teaches us to rely on him. In those moments where we say, God, I can't do this anymore, um, God says, you're right. You can't do this on your own, but I'm with you. And so, actually, the degree to which God is with us blows my mind. Way back when, back in the day, when Jesus came to earth as God, as a man, and in doing that, he took on the painful experience that comes along with life on earth. And to go even further, at the end of his life, Jesus suffered the painful, humiliating experience of death by crucifixion on a cross. And he did this on our behalf. Now, this is obviously something that we talk about a lot, um, and rightfully so, because it's super central to what we believe. But I think that because we talk about this so much, we actually lose sight of the pain and the suffering that Jesus endured and that it just loses some of its meaning. Um, so I ended up doing some more research just about the process of crucifixion. Hopefully nobody's like checking out my Google searches because things were getting pretty interesting. Um, but I was just trying to imagine like what that would actually be like. Now, don't worry, I didn't put any pictures up, so if you're squeamish, I'm sorry. Um, but fun fact, crucifixion was first done as a form of punishment by the Persians and then eventually taught to the Romans. And so this form of death, it was meant to be very public and very humiliating, not to mention incredibly painful. So in Jesus' case, before he died, he was hit across the face, blindfolded, mocked, and spat on. They had a whip, their whips had lead balls attached to the ends, and they would have brought this down against Jesus' back and legs. At first, the whip would have just torn the skin, but then it would have cut deeper into the subcutaneous tissue, damaging the capillaries and veins of the skin. The lashes would have gone deeper still, cutting into the arteries and the muscle. The skin on the back would have been hanging down in long ribbons in a mess of torn and bleeding tissue. They pressed thorns into his scalp, they tore off his clothes, and actually this action would also have ripped out any of the blood clots that would have started to form on his body, making it even more painful. Jesus was forced to carry the horizontal beam of the cross, which weighed about 110 pounds to the site of his execution. Nails were driven between the small bones in the wrist and through both of his feet to secure him to the cross, where his body began to sag. So at this point, the nails would now have been putting intense pressure 
directly on the median nerves in the wrists, which shot excruciating pain throughout the entire body, not just in that area. The muscles were weak. Air could have been drawn into the lungs, but the intercostal muscles were unable to move to exhale. The heart and the lungs were failing. The body had lost tremendous blood and fluid. And this pain dragged on until Jesus took his last breath. So just imagining that physical pain and then also putting that physical pain aside and recognizing that Jesus also took on the emotional burden of being a sacrifice to redeem every sin that was ever committed, to redeem me, to redeem you. He suffered in this way so that we would never have to experience the same pain that he did. So whatever you're going through, no matter how much you're wishing for an easier life, you can take hope that Jesus is with you, that he knows your pain, that he knows your frustration. Our experience of pain, I think, actually brings us closer to the Lord because it gives us a greater appreciation of what Jesus went through um, to save us and to redeem us. And so I was thinking about this a lot, actually, during Thon this past weekend. Um, I'm not much of a journaler, um, but I tried to journal throughout the weekend so that I wouldn't forget what I experienced or what I was feeling. And at one point, I wrote, I know that pain is part of this experience. What I am feeling is nothing compared to the pain of a child and family battling cancer. It is nothing compared to the pain that Jesus experienced on the cross. God, bring me closer to you through this. Don't take away my pain, but allow me to be joyful in every moment. Thank you for the opportunity to depend on you for strength and to praise your glorious name. And I, I think it was really awesome that I was able to experience Thon in that mindset. Because one year ago, I was not in that place. In my pain and in my exhaustion and my frustration over my academics, I felt so far from God. I did not feel like he was bringing me closer to him. I was struggling in my classes. I was isolating myself from others. I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't eating well. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't getting enough sleep. I didn't feel like I had time for anything or anyone. And in that place, I said, God is only close to me when I am actively seeking him. And I was not actively seeking him. I didn't have time to seek him, right? I was so tired from life that I lost any of my discipline to make prayer or reading the Bible a priority. And I felt like I had, a, I had to make a choice between working hard and worshiping God. And every single time, I chose no work. And now, this is where things get really interesting. And I still honestly do not have the words to even explain what happened in my soul. But we were about six weeks into the spring semester and I was at one of the lowest points I've ever hit in my life. And I just called out to God, and I just asked him to do something, to do anything. And in the next few weeks, I experienced the most intense joy and peace that I have ever felt. And it was just, it was indescribable. And this was really a time that I felt God move in my life so clearly that I could not deny his presence. And for the next few months, I felt the same way. I was like high on the Holy Spirit, and this was so opposite of everything that I had experienced earlier in the semester. My situation didn't change at all. If anything, it got more difficult. But now instead, somehow I found myself walking home in the middle of the night with a smile on my face and with the greatest desire just to praise God for his goodness and for his grace. It ended up being a great academic semester but my focus was shifted so far away from that and so intently on God. 
And I just started to realize that I was able to worship God through my work, and it didn't have to be a choice between one or the other. And so when I was feeling far from the Lord, he just reminded me, nothing can separate you from my love. And so there's a passage in Romans 8, hashtag greatest chapter of the Bible. Um, Paul writes about the security we have in the Lord and in his love. And so he writes, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So no matter where you are in your walk with God, whether you feel really close to him, whether you feel really distant, he continues to pursue you. He is always with you even when you are not aware of it. In this moment right now, God's love surrounds us. Like just take a minute and just like sit in that. That is so cool. Um, mm, love. And so the reality is we've all believed lies about ourselves, about others, about God, about the world. And there are many more lies that I have believed and honestly some that I still believe um, and lessons that God has taught me that we just don't have time to get into. But if you want to talk more, I'd love to follow up with you. Um, so no matter where we are at in our lives um, or in our relationship with God, I know that God wants more for us. He wants us to thrive by casting out the lies that we hold on to and living in the truth that he declares about us. He wants us to taste that sweet, chewy deliciousness of the center of the cinnamon roll. And he is fighting for us to experience this truth. So I'm going to call it Grace Ward for a minute. Grace, where you at? Hey, friend. So Grace wrote me a letter at Thon. Also, thank you to anybody for who wrote me a letter, video, encouragement. Appreciate that a ton. Um, but Grace gave me a letter, and what she wrote really impacted me. Um, so I asked her if I could just share a little bit of it. So she started out with a verse that's familiar, I think, to many of us. Psalm 46.10, which says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So Grace goes on. The words, be still, come from the Hebrew word rapha, which is translated as slack in your hands. Let go, open up your palms, and hand this weekend over to our mighty God. You don't need to keep your hands up because God has his fists up ready to fight for you. He will fight any challenge presented to you this weekend in what faith we can have that he will prevail. So these words hit me on multiple levels, both during Thon and then after. Um, but right now, I just have this image of God fighting for us. He calls us to just open our hands, to lay down the lies that we believe, to surrender our lives to his truth. He wants us to lean in, resting in his promises and allowing ourselves to be transformed into the people that he created us to be. God sees me when I'm defining myself by my performance. He sees me when I don't feel like I'm good enough. He sees me living in my entitlement, looking for an easy way out. He sees me when I feel far from him. He is watching down on me, eating those dry, crunchy outer rings of the cinnamon roll as if it's the best thing I ever tasted. And he sees me missing out on the life that he has called me to whenever I fail to walk in his truth. 
And so although we fall short in this every day, we don't have to despair. Because our faith in God, our acknowledgement of our struggles, our belief in Jesus Christ, our acceptance of his sacrifice on the cross to cover our sins, we are redeemed. Jesus died to cover every lie that we have and ever will believe. He comes to restore us and to make us new with the truth that he provides. So with all that said, you might be left with just kind of some thoughts, some questions, and I'm a pretty linear thinker. So I tried to summarize some possible responses with a nice little flow chart. So we've been talking a lot about God's truth and how that acts against the lies that we believe. But at this point, you might be asking, well, what is true? How do I know what truth to believe? And so my first recommendation would be to find truth in the Bible, right? We believe that God, um, that the Bible is the word of God. It's perfect and holy, and God communicates his truth to us through his word. So I'm also going to put in a little plug um, for a new series we're going to be starting here at Crew after spring break. We're going to be doing a series on apologetics. Um, so if that is a term that is not familiar to you, um, apologetics is basically the defense and justification of the Christian faith. So each week next semester, um, we're going to be looking at factual truth found in history, in science, in logic, in philosophy, in literature, and just seeing how all of those things um, offer a ton of support for the things that we believe to be true as Christians. Um, so this series is really going to expand just on the topic of truth and what is true and how do we know that it's true. Um, so I'm really, I'm really looking forward to coming back to that after break. Um, so moving on. And I imagine this next path is the one where most of us find ourselves. You might be thinking, well, in my mind, I know what God says to be true, but I'm not, I'm not living like it. I'm not living like I believe the truth that I know. Um, so if that's you, you're not alone here. Um, a few ways I would make, I would suggest to make the connection between knowing truth and living out truth are just to pray and to meditate on God's word. Ask the Lord to allow his truth to impact your life in a real and in a tangible way. Because God is faithful, and guys, he wants to make himself known to you. Um, and all we have to do is ask. Another super important thing to do is to remind yourself and to remind others of God's truth. I know I'm someone who appreciates um, visual cues, so I just have like a lot of note cards with scripture and just reminders about who I am, um, just around my room, uh, on my phone just so that I can be exposed to these different truths throughout every single day um, because we need the reminders. Um, that's why I also think it's really important that we remind each other. So I just really want us to be a community of people who are pointing each other to God's truth. Um, we are such forgetful people. Um, we forget what is true. We let lies take hold of our lives. Um, so I just want us to be a movement that encourages, encourages each other um, just to pursue truth and to point each other to what God says. Um, so finally, third option, um, you could be saying, hey, I'm doing great. I know what is true, and I'm living that out. And if that is you, PTL, praise the Lord. That is awesome. That is what we're going for. Um, so if you feel like you're in that place, right on. We need you to encourage other people and to just exemplify what it looks like to live out God's truth. Um, so we're going to wrap up soon, um, but I want to leave you something that you're going to be able to take away and just meditate on um, the coming days, coming weeks. So in a little bit, 
someone's going to hand out some note cards. Um, and then during worship and then later tonight, um, I would really love for each of you to write down a lie that you are currently believing about yourself, about others, about God. Um, and when you write it down, I really challenge you to think about why you believe it, right? Like we said before, like the things that we believe aren't random. So think about your life, what's things that have happened, things that people have said to you, things that have influenced your beliefs and reinforced these wrong patterns of thinking. Um, so then once you have that lie, it doesn't mean much to just say, oh, well, now that you know it, just stop believing it. Um, because that belief, it has to be entirely replaced by something new. So next part of the challenge, find a piece of God's truth that discredits the lie that you're believing. Um, you can look to the Bible as a great source of truth. Um, if you're not sure where to begin with that, um, talk to somebody Talk to somebody else about it. Ask a friend, phone a neighbor, I don't know. Um, if you're not sure who to ask and you're like, I really want to talk about this, my phone number's on the screen, call me, beat me, if you want to reach me. Um, so then once you finish, um, keep this card somewhere where you're going to see it. Somewhere so that you can remember the lies that you've believed and then the truth that covers that. Knowing that we are completely covered by the redemption of Jesus Christ. Um, so, yeah, guys, God is just so good. Um, his truth is so powerful. Um, it changes lives, and I know that because it changes my life every single day. Um, so someone's going to pass out some note cards. Um, I would love to pray for us and then invite the worship team up. Jesus, I praise you for your truth. I thank you so much for how you pursue us and how you love us and how you fight for us. God, thank you for how you've been at work in my life in the past few years um, and just have been redeeming the lies that I believe. Um, God, I just cast out any lies that have taken hold of us, and I pray that your truth would just overwhelm us and point us towards your glory. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for who you have created us to be in you. Um, God, I pray that you would just walk alongside of us as we seek your truth. God, we give you all the glory. Um, Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. The talk you have just listened to is a presentation of Penn State Crew. Crew is a community where the gospel captures hearts, transforms lives, and launches men and women into a lifelong adventure with Jesus Christ. To find out more about Penn State Crew or to find more talks, music, and videos, check out PennStateCrew.org. That's PennStateCRU.org. This talk is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States license. You are free to copy and distribute this talk to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter, transform, or build upon this talk in any way.